Good morning, everyone. Friends, perhaps when I reach my 80s, I will be able to do the same. <laughs> but for now, I cannot. Friends, uh, the gospel uh, for, from John is very interesting from many different perspectives, and I know that I cannot go through all of them. Um, but for me, John, um, John 3.17 sums up kind of everything that John is trying to put forth totally in his gospel. And John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So my friends, when I consider this, I look at the story, and while it has many perspectives and many things to teach, I begin to think that this story is not so much about the woman caught in adultery, but about those despicable religious leaders who were plotting against Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, they do bring charges against the woman, but um, John clearly tells us that this is not their goal. Their goal is to trap Jesus and to bring charges against him because they despise him. So they are using this woman and even more disgusting, they abuse her. Because John is very kind in how he put it forth, but they dragged her through the streets of the city. And they threw her, they thrust her, threw her into the middle of the town center where Jesus was teaching. They treated her like an animal. And they had no interest in justice. Because if they had, they would never have treated her with such disrespect and disregard. The Pharisees and the scribes, they remind everyone present, including Jesus, that Moses demanded death by stoning for such a crime. Adultery certainly was a sin, and it was certainly destructive to a marriage, and it still is. But in their town, it also affected the whole society of the town. So it became detrimental to the group. The Pharisees and the scribes, we were told, asked Jesus, what say you about this? Smugly and with self-righteousness and false moral superiority, they feel they have trapped Jesus. If Jesus agrees with the Mosaic law, it will show him to be not merciful at all, something that he has been doing the whole time in his ministry. And furthermore, it will pit him against the Roman government. You see, the Sanhedrin is the highest Jewish court, but they have no authority to condemn anyone to death. This is the reason why when it comes time for Jesus, they will send Jesus to Pilate because they cannot condemn him. Pilate must. So you see, if Jesus says, yes, stone her, immediately they will run and tell the governor. You know what he did? He condemned her to death. You see what they're doing? It's despicable. And if he suggests that the woman be spared... He would appear to contradict Moses, the great prophet and the giver of the law, God's law. 
It does seem to be a no-win situation for Jesus. We are told Jesus knows that they do not care about the woman. And matter of fact, where is the man? One does not commit adultery by themselves. And Leviticus 20.10 says both of them are to be stoned. So they don't care about the woman. They certainly don't care. It wasn't her they were after. It was Jesus. And Jesus does something very odd. He bends down and scribbles in the sand. Now, my friends, in our English we lose something. But in the Greek we do not. In the Greek, the word used is katagraphin. Katagraphin means to doodle. He's doodling. Typically, when someone's doodling, they're stalling. Why is he stalling? Jesus does something similar to this when he's before Pilate. He remains silent before Pilate. I believe he is giving not only Pilate, but these despicable Pharisees and scribes, he's giving them the opportunity to change their mind about what they are about to do. But these persecutors and prosecutors of the town persist in their wickedness. So Jesus stands up and looks them directly in the eye and challenges them. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Then we're told Jesus kneels down again, but the Greek word is changed to graphene. Graphene means he actually wrote something. And although we do not know exactly what it is that he wrote, we have scripture that may help. Psalm 30. If you, O Lord, mark our sins, write them. Who can stand before you? And Jeremiah. Those who rebel against God will be put to shame. In the Greek, put to shame is translated differently. Those who rebel against God, they will be written upon the earth. You see what Jesus is probably doing? What is believed is that Jesus wrote the particular sins of each one of the accusers in a way that only they would recognize it. And seeing what he has done and recognizing he has written their personal sin, we are told they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. The elders are the smart ones. They got out of there. <laughs> the story leaves no doubt that the woman caught did what, she, what they claimed. There is no question of her guilt, for even the town knows well the reputation, not only of her, but of the man. No one ever hated sin, which is an offense against God, more than Jesus. And at the same time, no one ever loved a sinner more than Jesus. Jesus asks her, has no one condemned you, woman? 
No one, sir. And what is left, we are told, is the sinner facing the sinless one. Mercy. Looking at misery. St. Augustine wrote this. The only one who could rightly throw the stone at her was now standing before her. He was the one who was without sin. Jesus has no interest in stones. You remember in the desert, he's tempted. Satan says, pick up the stone and turn it to bread. He has no interest in it. Once again, Satan uses those people. Pick up the stone and kill her. Jesus has no interest in the stone. Instead, he gives her the opportunity to change. She has the chance to put her past behind her and to start afresh because he says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. She is guilty. Jesus puts that forth. Don't do it. Don't do that anymore. These last words are so very important as they are resplendent of Jesus' mission while he is on the earth, coming not to condemn, but to forgive and to heal. The story ends beautifully with Jesus condoning the woman while at the same time condemning the sin. He is able to separate the two of them. My friends, in this story we learn many things. One of it, that the qualification for judging comes not in our knowledge of the law and not our knowledge about someone, but about our own personal achievement in holiness and goodness. All of us, God may judge an individual's heart and motive. Only God can condemn a person. And I am not saying that we are not to face sin and things that are wrong and not call them out. For the world is filled with it and we must. But there is a way to do that. Two lessons. None of us is without sin. And each of us will have to stand at one time or another in our lives as miseria a misericordia, misery facing great mercy, St. Augustine wrote. Our Lord gives each the chance to put our past behind us and to start afresh when we sincerely embrace his ways, when we sincerely accept his mercy, when we sincerely accept his love, when we truly choose, choose to walk in holiness and choose to be his disciple. Our first reading and our second reading speaks about past and future. The first reading, the Jewish people had been exiled for years. They reminisce about the liberation that they had had and things of the past. And the prophet tells them, do not think about those things anymore. 
They are in the past. Now, look to the future. Your God was with you in the past. But he tells you, do not look at it anymore. Look to the future. He provides a way for you. He is in your future. In the same way, with our second reading, Paul knows well that he was a murderer. He killed Christians in the name of God. Then by the grace of Jesus Christ, he was given a new mission. He became an apostle of the very leader of the Christians, Jesus Christ. He writes, I give no thought to what lie behind my past. It has been taken from me, but I push on to what is ahead, life with Jesus Christ, grace with him. My friends, this is amazing. Our Lord is more interested in restoring our life rather than taking it from us. Our Lord is more interested in healing than increasing pain and suffering upon us. Our Lord is more interested in our future than in our past. And when we come to understand that, we can say what the psalm of today said, the Lord has done great things for me. As your pastor, you already know, I've shared with you my story. Our Lord has taken my past from me. And he gave me a future. My past, I am not to look at. But my future. He gave me a future of hope, of love, of peace. This, <laughs> that's great <laughs> when I think about it. Sometimes I joke with myself and my guardian angel, I may be the court jester in heaven, but I will be in heaven. <laughs> and friends, we need to be very careful about picking up stones and throwing them. I will end with Scripture. Isaiah 1, 16 through 18. Wash yourselves clean. Put away your misdeeds from before my eyes. Cease doing evil. Learn to do good. Make justice your aim. Redress the wrong. Hear the orphans, please. Defend the widow. Come now. Let us set things right, says the Lord God. Though your sins be scarlet, they may become white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they may become white as wool. If you are willing and obey what I teach, he is able to take one's past and exchange it for a future full of hope. Amen.